Gracious God, we thank you for the extraordinary opportunity that is Easter. Help us to come to it once again with fresh eyes so that we can do something extraordinarily good with it. In your name we pray. Amen. So, how many of you have tried the KonMarie method yet? You know about this? The KonMarie method was developed by an organizing guru from Japan. It's a, it's a decluttering system to help us get our lives organized and, and very clean and neat and, and tidy. And they ended up doing a huge Netflix special about this on January 1st, of all things, because it's a new year, it's a new time to reflect, and so they thought this was a great time to launch this, but she's been doing this for, for a long time. And, and Kondo's idea is that we should only keep the things that bring us joy. So she suggests that, that you start with your closet, and you clean out your, your closet. You take everything out of the closet, and you're going to assess each item before you put it back in. And you're going to talk to the item, and you're going to decide, do you, do you bring joy into my life? Do you deserve a place back in my closet? So I decided to try this method. And immediately, we have a huge problem. It is hideous. A very, very ugly, sleeveless green dress that I am confident was made out of shower curtain material. And this dress, this, this dress is so important to me, so important to my life, that I have not worn it in exactly 23 years. 23 years, and I know this because the last time that I wore it was on a super important and now totally irrelevant date that included a trip to the Don Cesar ice cream parlor over in St. Petersburg. That date wasn't even with Pastor Sung. <laughs> now this dress, this dress has moved from Florida to New Jersey to Georgia back to Florida, to Pennsylvania, and then back down here to Florida again, which means that it has taken up space in moving boxes for more miles than most people in the United States have ever traveled. Honestly, I have to tell you that there have been times when I have thought about giving it away, and then Anna reminds me that no one in their right mind is ever going to wear it in public. So... I can't stomach the idea that we're just going to throw away this dress, and so I allow it to take up this space in my closet. Now, when I see it, I'm reminded of my friend Kim. Kim was the one that convinced me to buy that dress. And when I think of Kim, I think about how she and I got into a really, really big fight right after I got married, and it tore our relationship apart. And then sometimes I'll look at the dress and I'll look at the tag on the back of it and I will realize that I have not taken care of myself in a way that would allow me to wear this dress again. And then I remember how much I paid for it, which at the time, as a broke college student, would have been enough for at least two textbooks and how for the first time in my life, I learned about what finance charges and debt really were. And I feel stupid for spending money on a dress that I didn't need or particularly want with money that I didn't have. 
So no, there's nothing about this dress that brings me joy, and yet it has occupied real estate in my closet longer than my kids have been alive. And I can't really explain why. Maybe it's nostalgia. Maybe it's a false hope. Maybe it's guilt or regret, maybe failure. Every practical part of my brain knows that this has to go. It has to go, but my heart just can't do it. And I think that's how many faithful believers often come into Easter morning. We're happy. We know that it's a day of celebration. We absolutely understand that Easter has nothing has nothing to do with bunnies and eggs and everything to do with Jesus and an empty tomb. And we hear the words of love and forgiveness and we feel good. We feel good for a little while. But, but then, then we walk back into our tombs, our, our closets, and, and we see the ugly green dress still hanging there. And we begin to wonder, Easter was a great celebration, but was it, was it really for me? Was the rec- resurrection really for me? Did Jesus really do that for me? And if not for me, then, then who? The, the good people? The, the ones that, that threw away their green dress? Or even better, the ones who never bought it in the first place? Did Jesus really die for my sins, even the ones that I can't seem to let go of. And then Peter began to speak to them, I truly understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and who does what is right is acceptable to him. So here's Peter. He's standing on the empty tomb side of the resurrection, making the statement that is just as hard for some to believe as it is to believe in the resurrection itself. That statement is that God shows no partiality. Peter talks about every nation. No one is excluded. And he's specifically speaking to the Gentiles here because the assumption might have been going around that because Jesus was the king of the Jews, that he only died for the Jews. That's not true. That's not true. He died for the whole world. But how does Peter know this? What makes Peter qualified to say that God shows no partiality? Peter says, you know the message that he sent to the people of Israel? Preaching peace by Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. That message spread. It spread throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John announced how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Peter's asking, do you you remember all of this? All this stuff that Jesus did between the time that he was born and the time that he went to the cross, they put him to death by hanging him on a tree. Surely you remember that. But God raised him. On the third day and allowed him to appear not to all the people but to us who were chosen by God as witnesses who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. Peter, as he's talking here, he assumes 
that most of us know the basics of the story, that the original hearers would have known the basics of Jesus' story, that he was baptized with John, anointed with the Holy Spirit and with power, and that he went about doing good and healing all of those who were oppressed. Notice that even here, Peter says, healing all, all who were oppressed, not just some, not just a select few, not even just the Jews, but all. And so by tapping into what the people already knew, what they'd already heard, Peter gets to speak to this as an eyewitness. He saw all of it. He was there for all of it. He's one of the closest people to Jesus saying that it wasn't just him. It was all of the disciples. He's not somebody who jumped on the Jesus bandwagon when it was convenient or after the fact. He was with Jesus all along. He saw Jesus heal the lame. He saw Judas betray Jesus. He saw Jesus carry his cross to Calvary. He saw Jesus give up his last breath. He saw them place Jesus in the tomb. So now, when Peter speaks, he is giving witness as one who has been to the tomb and found it empty. And not only did he find it empty, but he then encounters the risen Jesus. The risen Christ, he ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. So Peter knows what he's talking about here. He's not just some random person spouting off good things that people want to hear. He's put in the time to earn the right to speak as one who has encountered the living God. And so the message that Peter has for all of us this morning is that Jesus' victory over death is for all of us. Every one of us. In fact, Peter goes on to talk about how the message is actually what he's been commissioned. He uses the word commanded. It's that serious, commanded to deliver. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one ordained by God as the judge of the living and the dead. So yeah, we do have a judge and his name is Jesus. He is the one in a position to condemn us. And all the prophets testify about him that everyone, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. So Peter's message is this. You've got sin. I've got sin. We want to hold on to it. We want to bury ourselves in it to hide it in the back of our closets. And no matter how close we choose to hold it, no matter how hard we try to hide it, Jesus is ordained by God as the judge of the living and the dead. So this means he already knows. He knows all about whatever your green dress is. He knows that I have a broken relationship with my friend Kim. He knows that I spent money that I didn't have on something that I didn't need. He knows that I have a terrible, incurable sense of fashion. And he knows, he knows that my biggest sin is that I cannot let it go. That I hold on to it. And that I hide it in my closet. So there will be judgment. There will be judgment. What is the verdict then on our broken relationships, on our poor financial choices, on our stubbornness, our selfishness, our inability to forgive ourselves and others? Peter says, all the prophets, all the prophets, not just some of them, not just two delusional ones, but all of the prophets 
that testify about Jesus is the one who will judge us say that everyone, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. So there's two things. Forgiveness comes from God through Jesus. We don't earn it. We don't earn it. We don't deserve it. We can't pay for it. That's why Jesus went to the cross, to do something that we could not do for ourselves, to save us from the massive debt of sin that surrounds all of us daily, so that we can, for, we can receive forgiveness when we believe in Jesus Christ. Now, here's where this gets interesting. I believe in Jesus I believe he's the son of God. I believe that he died and he rose again. I believe that the Holy Spirit that raised him from the dead is the same spirit that he breathed out into the disciples when they followed him and they met him on the other side of the tomb. I believe all of this. Most of you believe all of this. But there's still a green dress hanging in my closet. And that's the second part. It's not that I don't believe in Jesus, but sometimes it's hard for me to believe that I am included in the everyone that all the prophets talk about. Everyone who believes in him will receive forgiveness of sins through his name. Everyone. When those women got to the tomb on that resurrection morning, it was empty. Not only was Jesus not there, but the stain and the sin and the hate and the evil was also gone. Remember how ugly the crucifixion was? The vile words, the, the spitting, the gambling for the clothing, the dirtiness, the vinegar, the blood. Remember all of that? By the time you get to resurrection morning, it's gone. It's gone. The tomb is empty. The linens are neatly folded. The vileness that has come from the Roman soldiers was replaced by the centurion saying, truly, this was the son of God. All of that ugliness of the tomb was gone. Even the very stench of death was no more. And eventually they all walked away from the tomb. Nobody stayed there because there was nothing to see. Their sin was no more. There was nothing for them to dwell with and to hold on to, so they left. They left the empty tomb. Jesus has indeed moved on, and he calls us and them to move on to something greater, to go about his mission in the world. And that's why it's important for us to understand that all of us are included in this every one part of the resurrection story. This is our story. Because many of us have built our own tombs where we stuff all of our sins, unwilling to let Jesus transform them into empty tombs so that we can boldly walk away and follow him out into the world. Imagine the things that we carry and how much they weigh on us and how much that hinders us from doing the good things that God has called us to because we won't let go. I think it's ironic that Marie Kondo asks me to consider if the green dress brings me joy. Of course it doesn't bring me joy. Our sin doesn't bring joy. 
It's also ironic to me that my green dress has resided in deep, poorly lit closets for two decades. We're happy. We are happy to hide our sin in cavernous spaces with shifty lighting, which is crazy because Jesus died and defeated sin so that we would have the freedom to let it go, to throw it away, to leave the tomb empty. So that's what I want for you on this Resurrection Day. What I want for every single one of us, everybody, get out of the tomb. Get out. Take your sins. Throw them away. They are no more. Jesus went into your tomb. He wrestled with it, and he came out victorious. It's empty. There's nothing left to see. So everybody, everybody gets out of the tomb. Everybody out. Go out into the world with the freedom, the lightness, and the joy to follow Jesus Christ. Don't take your tomb with you because he's not there. He's already risen. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we confess that we each carry our own tomb. Some of us want to carry it around forever. We can't let go of the sins that hurt us, that harm us, that weigh us down. And so remind us that on Easter, every single one of us, every single one of us is the recipient of the empty tomb. You have gone in, you have blown it apart. It is empty. There is nothing left to see, nothing left to do, but to go out into the world and follow you. So remind each person here today that they are included in the resurrection, that their tomb is empty and they need to get out of it. In your name we pray. Amen.